Bonsoir, Max. Bonsoir, Paul. Uh, so, usually Max is in a different location than yeah. me, but this time Max and I are together because Max is doing a, a toxicological course with us uh, for um, it's a, it's a post educational course in toxicology that's organized by, well, the, the higher society is the NVT, so the, the Dutch Toxicological Society. So, it's nice to have Max here. We're busy. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're giving, a, giving a lot of lectures. And every Tuesday, uh, almost without fail, uh, I have a, uh, a telephone conference, or sometimes actually physical, uh, with uh, Walter Fowler. So Walter Fowler was my, I guess, my second mentor, but more, more my most influential mentor because I kind of copied the stuff he did. <laughs> I eventually took over as well. So me and Max are currently in Amsterdam in my in my bar and my recording studio, which well, mostly a bar. And Walter Fowler is in Innsbruck in a castle, Walter, right? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Innsbruck in a in a castle which uh, uh, was built uh, in the form it's uh, it's uh, uh, it's open for visitors in in uh, the time between. Uh, uh, 1470 and uh, 1510 right uh, and, and it was it was in fact uh, the hunting seat of uh, emperor maximilian the first who married uh, mary of burgundy and uh, uh, by utilizing clever marriage policies really was the founder of the later Habsburg Empire. Uh, it was together with the, the Spanish and the, and the Austrian line were at this time still together. And uh, uh, the, the son of uh, Maximilian split the lines then to the Spanish. And is, it, is it that Maximilian's heart is in Innsbruck? No, Ma uh, Maximilian's heart. I honestly, I do not know where Maximilian's heart is is buried. Um, Wasn't there some suggestion it was in the folks um, Kirke, the Black Mass Church? No, 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 no. The the uh, yeah the 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 Black uh, Man, the Church of the Black Man, uh, uh, for which Innsbruck is famous for um, <coughs> that. That uh, was uh, designed as the as the burial stage for Maximilian the first, right. but but he died before uh, the the sepulchre was was uh, uh, finalized. And uh, as far as I know, he died on the way to his to his uh, seat in uh, Lower Austria in Wiener Neustadt. He died in a an inn uh, 
in the city of Wells, which is uh, in Upper Austria. And uh, he is buried uh, under the stairs up to the, to the fortress of Wiener Neustadt. And um, uh, his heart was expected to be found in the sepulchre of the Black Mains Church. But unfortunately, it was not the case. I think it's not known where the heart is. Well, in a way, in a way my heart, uh, metaphorically, uh, is kind of in Innsbruck. Uh, I brought my brain to Amsterdam. Um, so, Walter, uh, so me and Walter met each other. God, I can't remember exactly, but it was at least 25, 26 years ago in Dublin. Um, I, 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 24 years, yeah. Yeah, because I, I moved to Innsbruck just for a sabbatical, uh, just for a few months in 1999. Uh, I finished my PhD in 2001, but while I was in, in while I was in Innsbruck, one of Walter's uh, very important researchers uh, went uh, got a, a job in America, which was very exciting for everybody. But it left a vacancy, and Walter asked me, "Could I fill the vacancy for a couple of years?" And I, I fell in love with Innsbruck immediately, and I, I was so happy to uh, to take up that vacancy and. And then I stayed. I was 18 years in Austria. Um, so, uh, so Walter made me uh, love uh, Innsbruck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Walter, yeah. Walter, 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 sorry, Walter, go ahead. No, 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 go, go ahead, go ahead. So you, um, you, you became, well, you weren't initially famous for this, but you, you started doing uh, cell culture pretty early in your career. And it was, you adopted, you were an early adopter of cell culture, let's say. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, in in fact, I, I started my my uh, career. Although I am a physiologist by education and and career track, I did not start my uh, scientific career with a f physiologic topic. No, I started it with uh, a morphologic topic. So. I always, I, I, I was always morphologic. Walter, for me, yeah. Explain, explain morphology for the lay audience. Okay, morphology. Yeah, morphology is is still is a is a subject dealing with the appearance of living matter. Okay, uh, so morphology, every everything we know, either living or or im im immaterial uh, matters have, have a certain function. Uh, a build, either the machine is built for a specific purpose and uh, it, it's the same with, uh, with uh, living matter. Uh, it has developed uh, by s some curious... Uh, well, evolutionary... Evolutions. We yeah. will talk about later. It was evolutionary engineering in a way, uh, and I mean, Max uh, was discussing in a previous podcast about uh, Robert Hooke, and uh, Robert Hooke uh, was the well, one of the first to look at dead uh, and living matter underneath uh, a microscopic um, magnification. Yeah. Uh, so, Max, that's morphology when you look at yeah. things um, at a maybe a higher magnification or, or, or a lower or closer to the function of, of those 
things. And Walter, I think one of your, one of your morphological uh, adoptions was the electron microscope, which became famous around the time you were using it. No, it, it was already famous. Uh, it, it became famous in the times between the big wars, between First and Second World War, and it was invented by a, a, a Siemens um, uh, employee, a physicist, who was designing a uh, oscilloscope which can work at higher tensions, at higher voltages, and what the outcome was the electron microscope. Could you could you explain in a, in, a, in kind of layman's term what what the electron microscope does? Yeah, ele elect electron microscope. Uh, I mean, it, it has it, it it has something to do with microscopy in general, of course. Um, the light microscope uh, Paul Jennings was just talking about before, which was invented in the Netherlands, by the way, by Hans Janssen and and Anthony van Leeuwenhoek. Leeuwenhoek, or I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, um, and uh, they they uh, really brought science um, to. Uh, use by, by using little lenses, glass pieces, to uh, observe uh, enlarged uh, living materials uh, or dead materials. Uh, and uh, the, the first uh, application was described in a nice essay by, uh, uh, what was the British uh, philosopher, uh, Hook. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, from Hook. Yeah. What was the first name of him? Robert Hook. He, he, because he was the guy who coined the term, the name cell. Yeah. Because yeah, he, yeah. He, he he described it in the beginning as little boxes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and uh, because science uses Latin as the major language to communicate, he it gave he gave them a a Latin. He allocated the Latin term to these little boxes and came to cellula, or cellulae. Well, I so believe it was little rooms, not boxes. Yeah. It's a little room. Yeah. Cell, cell is a little room, little box. Yeah, it is. A, it is a little yeah. box for monks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He made this analogy. He was looking at. Uh, Cork yeah, slice. slice, right? A thin, thin layer of cork, which yeah. you can cut from yeah. the from the bark with a sharp knife, and uh, that that was uh, first of all a nice uh, pattern, uh, which attracted him, and uh, he saw that there is something in the cellulae, and uh, Anthony van Leeuwenhoek started then to observe other things, water drops uh, taken from various locations and uh, um, uh, detecting and identifying various kinds of animal, animals which were swimming around there. And uh, so, so it was, in fact, studying of the function called life started with a technical instrument, the microscope. So it was basically a magnification of things you, you can't ordinarily see with your naked eye. That's correct. Oh, you can, you can, uh, yeah. And uh, 
all kinds of 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 efforts have been invested in order to to maximize or to 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 enlarge the magnification every time a new instrument has been designed. So it, it ended with the electron microscope. Uh, that's still the the end of the ladder nowadays, and uh, the uh, uh, electron microscope uses instead of of light, uh, uh, yeah, it's difficult to explain. We I, we have to make a little excursion into physics. Um, physicists found out over the years that. Uh, Light is uh, not only a wave, an immaterial uh, matter. It's also a. It's also tr translocating particles, little particles, called the photons. Or yeah, and uh, the uh, chemists have found out meanwhile that all matter consists of chemical basic uh, uh, um, bricks or uh, how you call it, a power, a baustein. Uh, yeah, building blocks. Building blocks, uh, uh, so-called atoms. And uh, the atoms, uh, there they exist a number of different species of atoms, and these atoms give rise to what we identify then as, as various materials uh, by ha having imp uh, by having uh, little particles circling around uh, the heavy core of the atom. Uh, and those are the electrons, and the electrons. Uh, that was found out by physicists. They behave simi similar, like the uh, like the photons uh, uh, making up the light beam. So, light uh, was behaving identical like electrons in uh, in an atom. And if you you can um, release the electrons from their usual location by heating up the element or the atom uh, around which the the uh, electrons circle, and they leave then the orbits of the atom, and uh, since they have an electric charge, they can be manipulated manipulated by uh, exposing them to various types of electric charges. And then, and then the real effect in the end was the magnification power was how much more increased? Now, in, in the end, in the end, it turned out that the wavelength of, uh, of, the, of the electrons is very, very short. Uh, as is the wavelength of uh, even shorter than the wavelength of uh, light we still can uh, experience. So, and uh, the problem was how to to get them in a in a 
orderly beam to 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 make up a beam, and that uh, was done by uh, the uh, Siemens uh, uh, employee uh, Ruska, who invented this uh, instrument called electron microscope. So what he he used a simple elect it's it's a simple setup. Uh, um, a the source for electrons is a, a hairpin loop of of tungsten, which can be put uh, which uh, where you can let current electric current flow through that mobilizes the atoms in the in the hairpin uh, wire and uh, uh, the energy which you put in by electric current is so strong that uh, it, it ex can expel electrons from their orbits. And uh, since they are negatively charged, you can uh, put a, a positively charged um, uh, instrument uh, in, oppos in opposition to, to the source of electrons, and then you in in uh, you get a, an electron beam but the beam is not good enough to make anything with it so you have to manipulate the beam uh, to to make it parallel rays of electrons etc like in a uh, like in 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 the physics like uh, lessons you make with mirrors and lamps and so on so the the electron beam is uh, then uh, Created is it's bundled and made smaller and smaller uh, by putting electromagnetic fields in into the path of the electrons. All right. A ring, a ring, uh, uh, electric fields in the form of a ring, like a um, yeah, like a lens, and you really change and manipulate the appearance of the electron beam. Now the electron beam, or the, uh, the, 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 the um, equivalent of, of, of light particles, of photons, the electrons in the electron beam, um, that, that's a bit more tricky because electron beams, the, the, the wave uh, nature of the electron beam of the electrons depends on the speed with which the electrons go down the beam yeah. or through the beam. So if the electrons go slowly through the beam, they won't come far because they collide immediately with another electron and another atom, etc. So you can generate an electron beam only in vacuum. So where the electrons can uh, let occur the maximum free path length yeah. they can achieve. So without collision to any other particle. Uh, so the, the speed is of the electrons is produced by the potential difference between the hairpin loop, which is heated up to generate electrons, 
and uh, to get the uh, exit work done uh, for the electrons. And um, the uh, an anode which is positively charged, and this potential differences difference is usually around around hundred kilovolt. Well, I think I think we might be getting a little bit too technical, and uh, it's fascinating. Uh, but 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 the, but the application then is that the resolution increases. So when you look at a specimen, the resolution is what order of magnitude higher than a light microscope? My eyes, I teach that as well. Yeah, well, well it, you will correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I teach my students that microscopes are defined in quality by their resolution, which is the smallest distance that you can see, which separate two points. And this resolution two is different with two. Yeah, the the smallest distance that enable you to distinguish two points. That's yeah, resolution. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's for right, an yeah. optic microscope, then it means uh, using a good one and using UV, which it's, is the best result. in the range of, of uh, 20 one micron. Mi micro, yeah. One yeah. micron yeah. and below, uh, yeah. even below. Yeah. Now, uh, nowadays, even for quite yeah. it's below. And, and, the and the electron microscope? One the electron microscope uh, uh, resolves about three to five angstroms. Angstroms is 10 to the power of uh, 10, uh, 10 to the power, 10 of minus 10. Uh, 10 to the power of minus 10, yeah. 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 And to illustrate that, uh, if you compare it to virus, basically with an optic microscope, you would see virus as a point, whereas with an electron microscope, that's how we see all these pictures of uh, virus. Uh, you can, with the electron microscope, you can come in the in the range, uh, in the resolution, which uh, gives you gives you a, a tool to observe atoms, single atoms. So ju just to the, to, the, to the audience who are not in, in this field, uh, if you look down on a, uh, a light microscope, so this is what I do practically every day, and you can see uh, you can see cells, you can see that they're present, you can see their their gross morphology, you can see they have a nucleus and nucleus, and you can only see that they have other things in the nucleus. You can use no, you can you can identify a few substructures in in the cell we. In the cell, which is surrounded by the cell membrane, right. And if you and if you stain the cell, stain these organelles, we're talking about like mitochondria, selectively, then then you can see them with, with fluorescent microscopy. But uh, fluorescent microscopy is relatively new. That's only about I don't know in the last 30, 40 years. Um, and and but the electron microscope can see these things like inherently. So you, you look at an, an electron microscope, you can see the mitochondria quite clearly, and you can see the the, the inner mitochondrial membrane. You can see the matrix. And the the first few things that were discovered, if I remember correctly, Walter, the big discovery using the electron microscope. So people just put everything on the electron microscope because the resolution, as you said, was huge and still is the best way to look at a cell. Unfortunately, you have to kill the cell because you have to make a what do you, you have to make the cell? Replica. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you basically make a metallic replica of the cell, uh, so it's dense, and uh, and there's artifacts, of course, but everybody know, now knows these artifacts. But the first thing that was like revolutionary was was finding the ribosomes, right? 
Yeah, not not only. Not, not, not fully agreeing with me. No, not, uh, not, not only the ribosomes. The ribosomes was not a big thing, but you could see DNA. You could see RNA. Oh yeah, sure. Watson and Crick, um, they used um, um, what, what was the name yeah. again? Um, yeah, but it wasn't their images. Watson and Crick did no experiments. Yeah. Franklin, uh, Rosalind Franklin's X-ray images confirmed. Right. No, they used that and, and Shargaff's rule and, and somebody else's experiments to put this hypothesis together. It was only a hypothesis. Yeah. And when Franklin was confronted, because Franklin made the crystallography, when Franklin was confronted by the hypothesis of Watson and Crick, she said, that's nice. When will they ever prove it? Because she was a real scientist. She needed it proved. So um, uh, Franklin was a wonderful lady. Um, uh, and then uh, me and Walter are now addicted to this bit part because we're, and probably Max as well, because we grow epithelial cells. So some, there was a guy called um, um, the Romanian uh, Palade. George Palade. Oh, it was George Palade. And he found a few structures like tight junctions and adherence junctions and stuff like that. And they were, they're almost impossible to resolve at the light microscopic level even now. And at the EM, they just shone up. And he, in one of his first papers, it was in the 80s, I believe, Walter, he, he described just from the EM images, he called it a tight junction, he called it, he had Latin versions, adherence junction, and he had the desmosomes. And their that's textbooks knowledge now, and they also still use his original images, uh, which is fascinating. And he was right. He, and he even uh, uh, ascribed function to these uh, junctions and it was a guess, but his guess was perfect. He was a smart guy. Yeah, no, the, the, the first perfect guess was perhaps the observ observation of Curly Cup in, in, the, in, uh, 18, in 1860, where he was observing under his uh, paraffin uh, embedded uh, tissue, which was embedded in paraffin, hardened uh, in the infiltrated with with molten paraffin and then uh, uh, let uh, wait until it's hard and you can cut it into very thin uh, wax plates. And these wax plates could then be examined easily with a microscope because it's not very thick, it's fairly thin, light can easily penetrate, you can stain it, so you can increase modify the amplitudes of the light going through and you could and he saw a, a tiny uh, basophilic uh, little uh, yeah, pieces within within the cell and interestingly what was that what light that was what a light was uh, let me let me let me find Sorry, uh, and uh, he was wondering what this is and he had made an interesting note on one of his uh, uh, sessions that uh, tissue with high, meta presumably high metabolic activity had more of these tiny spots. And he uh, allocated uh, or he, he denoted them as, as uh, the micro uh, uh, energy plants of the cell, and that was mitochondrion. That was in 1864. Yeah, but that's divergent to what we're talking about because we're talking about the EM right now. But yeah, okay. No, that 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 was light microscope. Yeah. At, the, at the EM, what at the EM 
was uh, was a, a an exorbitantly important contribution. The uh, you know to, in order to examine tissues with EM, you have to denature the materials before because you have to get rid of the Brownian motion. Yeah. Uh, first of all, and second, you have to 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 uh, uh, get an image, and the image in the mic electron microscope is only made by the electrons which pass through the thin slice you have been making, and uh, uh, th this um, the thinner the slice is, the easier. Uh, electrons penetrate, uh, uh, but the less they got got uh, um, uh, uh, straight, you know. Oh yeah. The, 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 the less uh, they so yeah. the, the higher their speed, the shorter their wavelength, the better the resolution would be. But the the, the lower is the interaction between electron and object. Yeah. So you have to find the a, the, the, medium, the, yeah. the optimum conditions, and uh, what uh, at that time everybody was uh, wondering how the barrier is uh, working and functioning, which covers every cell and subcellular certain subcellular structure. Now every every cell, so. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, Langmuir, the the, the 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 Netherlands chemist, he found out that uh, the uh, cell membrane must be very uh, very uh, hydrophobic, uh, uh, not not very lipophilic and hydrophobic, and uh, but. But then they found out that there is also protein contained in these membranes, in this barrier. And uh, a, a barrier is, that was easily understood how a barrier formed. Everybody knows the drop of the oil on the on the soup. Well, Walter, let's, let's, I'm trying to drag the conversation somewhere else, but uh, to tie this up, so we, we both met um, Rival. Yeah. Uh, and Weibel yeah. also was famous for his EM. In fact, Weibel and Palade named a organelle that's in endothelial cells their Weibel Palade bodies. Yeah. And they discovered this simply by EM because it is a very unique structure. So once you see a Weibel Palade body, you, you, every time you see one again, you immediately identify it. And so the Weibel Palade bodies are, are in endothelial cells. They produce a, a, a compound or protein called, well, uh, no, shit. Uh, Von Willemann factor, yeah, and uh, and it's, it just looks very it's very well structured, um, and uh, and we we met uh, Walter, we met Bible. He was at one of the Pullman uh, conferences. Remember, I think he's died since the Pullman, but he was a, he was a great scientist. He was well in his eighties when we met him, and he was still very passionate, very eager. Um, I met him in the same hotel the the first time myself, fifty years ago, uh, forty years ago, forty years before. Before, yeah. Before. That was like, that was there's an advertisement at the Grauen Bar in uh, in Grauen Bar, uh, yeah. On Universität Strasse. Uh, but let's right. make the story short. Uh, yeah. the, the, uh, the 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 membrane which 
people agree, must be around the cell and keeps everything in. Uh, it's very must be very lipophilic uh, because there is lots of fat in, and it, it forms it forms uh, monolayers on uh, that they found out that monomolecular layers on top of 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 the uh, the the a, a water phase. Yeah. Uh, but uh, nobody could easily understand how the interior of the cell is also a water phase. Yeah. And that was difficult. And there comes the electron microscope into play. Right. Uh, when fixing cells, this barrier was, of course, also denatured. And uh, the uh, we use heavy metals to, to increase, to enhance the interaction between electrons and object atoms. Uh, and uh, there is a heavy metal uh, which is, has been used already in light microscopy by oh. the famous Camilo Golgi and, and uh, Ramon Cajal from Spain, that it's osmium, osmic acid, osmium acid. And then thereafter, you could section the material and even enhance uh, these, uh, these positions in the cell where osmium uh, deposed or, or was located. You could do this with lead, zinc, so just, just, and just other for, heavy metals. But just and, so people are not familiar, what you do is you take your sample, you, you make the slice, and then you sputter uh, a metal on top of it. No, yeah. no, 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 not sputter. No, that's, that's canning. No, 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 no. You, sorry, sorry, Walter, you, you go ahead. You, you, you make this in, in the tissue blocks. During preparation, and then oh, yeah. you, you embed it in, you embed it into, into um, you impregnate it with this heavy metal. Right, that's what I meant. It's, 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 it's impregnated, then you infiltrate it with a monomeric uh, resin, monomer of a resin, yeah. and then you polymerize the resin, and it's a hard block containing the tissue. And this uh, hard block is then cut by pieces of glass or diamond, diamond yeah. into very thin slices and can be exposed in vacuum on a support grid to the electron beam and a, an image can be generated. I suppose for somebody that can't vision this, it's a little bit like uh, an MRI. I mean, uh, just if you've ever seen MRI images that go across, so it's a bit like that, so you have a slice of a part of what the MRI sees, and then you see this, uh, it's, but it's only one slice of a tissue. And uh, yeah. scientists were very used to look, imagining what's on top of the slice and below the slice, but I guess if you're, if you're not doing this all the time, it's a bit confusing. So it's, it's just simply a slice through a tissue that's prepared yeah. in a way that EM can see it. That's exactly the art of morphology. Right. To, to, to make from a two-dimensional probe. Yeah out a three-dimensional information. I'm not going to build that, that, is, that is what have been what, what has kept busy uh, millions, no, not millions, but people of anatomists over the years. They did nothing else than than confabulate confabulate how how an organ looks from simple sections. 
But you, you you did that in your habilitation thesis as well. What's it called? Is it stereology or seriology? Seri isn't it? Uh, stereology. 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 Yeah. That's something so, else. Yeah, yeah. but we're not, I don't want you to explain it because that gets too no. boring very quickly. So stereology is basically confabulating this and then calculating and making it mathematical. No, no, that has nothing to do with that. That that's completely independent. It's counting. No, it's counting, right? So, so you you have the sections, and from the sections you can conclude to the function, and right. that's, that, that, that's the, the, the merits of the good uh, anatomists and physiologists. Well, just, so I don't look an, look, just so I don't look like an idiot, you, you could calculate from slices uh, mitochondrial volume, so you did confabulate. Uh, that, that, that's a special, uh, a special um, approach to get more information out yeah. of the two-dimensional probes. Uh, you right, can, but let's, 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 you can let's, get you can get under certain uh, keeping certain uh, border conditions. You can get three-dimensional information statistically three-dimensional information from two-dimensional probes. Yeah, probes. But it's, it's a confabulation a bit. But anyway, uh, so you was was your first technique that you were using the EM microscope. Yeah, I, I, uh, um, I studied several objects uh, and uh, had mostly to do with mitochondria. Because when I arrived in when I arrived in nineteen ninety nine, you were you were already uh, a well advanced researcher, a senior researcher, a well renowned researcher. And I remember two things that you had. So you had a, a, a T, so that's a transmission electron microscope. You had a scanning electron microscope, which I mean. That's really big things to have in the lab. And then you, you also had the isolated perfused kidney. So which which were you using first? Are you using oh, the first? The first was, was the electron microscope. Um, uh, yeah. And um, I I used And what was your what was your what was your biggest uh, outcome? I'm not trying to put you on the spot now, but what was your biggest finding with the electron? What was your most satisfying um, use of the electron microscope? Yeah, I but what I tried and what I did, in fact, in the end, I tried to find the link or a link between uh, the structure, the structural appearance of renal epithelial cells and their constituents, their interior, uh, uh, to, their to the function of this uh, respective segment of a renal tubule or a renal cell. Uh, and it using this uh, stereo, stereology, the, uh, the three-dimensional analysis of the, of the tissue array uh, gave me a tool to compare the barriers I'm looking at and I have quanti been quantifying to the transport rates, for example, and to uh, and surfaces which are uh, resem resembled or uh, no, uh, and surfaces or membranes which are made up of uh, proteins, mainly uh, uh, mainly enzyme molecules, enzyme proteins uh, to the to the uh, materials or the, the, the amount of, of uh, 
substrate utilized or to the amount of product generated. Right, and a lot of this was mitochondrial based, right? Because yes, mitochondrial so I could I could show that uh, the the number of uh, respiratory chain complexes allocated or located at the mitochondrial inner membrane of the whole of the whole nephron the, in, in the whole kidney uh, could ju just from knowing the turnover number of the uh, uh, of the um, cytochrome C uh, uh, which is forming one ATP and the other enzymes which are forming uh, succinic, succinic dehydrogenase and other ATP and the uh, NADH dehydrogenase uh, for forming the third one. Um, the uh, knowing knowing the, the the measure of what the kidney produced, uh, so I, I could recalculate solely by morphologic data that. Uh, uh, and and end up with a certain amount of ATP, which a rat kidney with so and so many gram can form within this and that time. And uh, if you compare this to the data obtained with an isolated perfused kidney, where you 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 uh, do this on a metabolic basis, uh, it I ended up with almost the identical figure. And, so, and uh, all the other knows, but the, 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 the audience don't know, we're still doing uh, similar experiments today. We've abandoned the EM because now we can measure uh, oxygen consumption on the cellular level. And that's uh, kind of, and we have the pharmacological, pharmaceutical tools to block little parts of the, the uh, electron uh, transport. Yeah, chain. I would have loved to have had that and not to isolate mitochondria yeah, in a time-consuming <laughs> I want, I want to bring it, I want to, I want to, so we're, we're coming to a point, we do a point with this podcast, uh, not just to make Walter explain very complicated things. Without growing. Walter really can explain this very well if he's got a pen and paper. But, um, so Walter, when, when, was your, when was your first idea to use uh, cultured cells for such okay. investigations and why? Of course, all the things we were just talking we were just talking about uh, uh, were first applied on normal, normal uh, animal model on a normal animal model. It was rat kidney, and uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, coming from uh, from medical from the medical side, I know that uh, the kidney is a very vulnerable organ can be easily damaged and uh, nobody exactly knew at that time what is affected in in, in case it, uh, which types of damage can uh, did, um, can uh, corrupt which function of the kidney so and uh, that was not an easy undertaking and that kept me busy for quite a few years. Uh, but in the end, it convinced me that the model I'm dealing with is far too complex and not easily overviewable at any time of the, at any time point of the experiment. So I, I wanted to 
and and it's it, it's it was almost impossible to really discriminate between cause and result of an uh, cause of the damage and and uh, and uh, uh, why this and not other uh, damage is resulting. So it, it, it was fairly, fairly complicated. So I, I thought the easiest would be to put out the single cell, which is cell type, which is affected, and study it on that. So cut off, cut off all the higher order regulation systems and go down to the, to the uh, uh, basic building block. And luckily, at the, time, uh, and at the time, luckily, uh, Eli Lilly had developed uh, almost accidentally uh, a very good proximal tubular model and a pretty good, uh, what they called it distal, but Walter found out later it was collecting duct. That's the MDSK cells. And, and they, they had commercialized them. They, they were using them for viral replication because Epithelius has a pretty good viral replication. And Eli Lilly at the time were, were, were uh, in the vaccine business. And it was they, like, First, they used to uh, infect animals with it, but that was terribly complicated. So they found out if they could grow these cells, and by accident, they were growing kidney cells uh, uh, from pigs and dogs, and just simply serendipity happened that these cells became immortal themselves. So they didn't know how to make them immortal, and they became immortal, and these serendipitous immortal cells tended to have pretty good phenotypes. So the, the even still, MDSK cells are still bedrock of lots of studies, and the LSP ones. So they've lost a bit of attraction, but they're pretty decent cells. And Walter got his hands on the MDSK cells and the and the the LSP ones. As, as as far as I know, Walter he definitely didn't pay for them, right? Oh. <laughs> and I think the first, I think the first ever, uh, what? Yeah, well, one. Oh yeah. Well, let's not. Uh, but but what? But I think, as far as I know, Walter was at least one of the first people. Let's say one of the first to do toxicological experiments in cell culture, right? That's right. So I expose these cells to various kind of toxins, starting with uh, well heavy metals, going to what whatsoever. I I studied, of course, also those models which I have been studying. On the animal model, in the animal model, I did also. I repeated on the cell culture systems. And now, in the intervening years, things got. Uh, well, I have to say that that Walter is always challenging things, so he wasn't that happy with the LSPK1 cells and the MDCK cells. So Walter was inventing ways to increase the oxygenation stuff like that. Walter even had a company for a while that had. Uh, it wasn't the first time it was tried or commercialized, but it was to pass, um, um, to, to make the systems, because when you grow cells, normally you grow them static. That means there's no circulation. So there was a, a pretty influential guy, Will Minute, who started a commercial business that would uh, basically pump medium over the cells. But it we found we found and I'm sorry Will if you're listening, we found it was kind of, it was kind of in the wrong direction. So we so Walter started a uh, well first it was an EU grant that we just changed the orientation of it and had an eight big one basal lateral fall for epithelial cells. So this was Walter's idea. Um, and I worked on this and then Walter eventually commercialized it, but it wasn't a commercial success. <clears throat> it was kind of cumbersome, I have to say, because I worked with a lot 
child, but it was a great idea. And now we hear only about microfluidic systems because clever people like Luna Max, for example, listened to Walter's lectures and said, Walter, Walter said we have a problem. Um, for lots of things, they're fine, but for more sophisticated investigations, these static cultures do not really represent as much as they should do in the body. And if we could have a proper microfluidic situation, they might do it better. And well, Uvermax, to my mind, is is the leading uh, um, company in Europe. There's other companies. That's uh, tissue, right? That's tissues, yeah. And there's, and there's other companies that have learned from Uwe and, and, and follow them. And there's, there's American companies as well. And so now there's a market for this. And there's a, there's a Dutch company called Mimetis as well. So so th this whole thing is, is, is now commercially viable. Unfortunately, when Walter started, it wasn't. And organoids and all this kind of thing. So, so to make this, the, the, these cells and culture more like they are in vivo, we, or in vivo means in the body. I mean, we don't need them to be exactly like in the body, but we need them to be a bit more behaving like in the body because when you grow cells on, on plastic, it's, it's abnormal. So um, anyway, so, uh, and now we have this beautiful idea that we can actually take, we can actually have human cells. Uh, we can get them from biopsies. Uh, we can get them from, uh, organs that are not transplantable. And now we can make uh, stem cells from any single cell. And uh, currently in our lab, but many other labs are doing it, you can take just urine, so piss basically, and there's living cells in pee for a while at least. And we can convert them to what's called pluripotent stem cells. And now we're beginning to grow cells that have pretty much the same characteristics um, as the, those cell lines that Walter began with 30 years ago. And we hope that if we grow them in more sophisticated ways, that we even have more. And from one individual, we can grow, like we can grow, the blood, assimilate the blood-brain barrier, we can grow similes of brains. I mean, I'm not saying me, I'm saying uh, different groups can do this. We can grow pretty good uh, kidney-like cells, we can grow pretty much liver-like cells. So now this, I, this thing that Walter, Somebody else would have done it anyway if Walter didn't do it, but what Walter began with is now a real science. So this in vitro toxicology is a real science, and it has now the probability or the possibility to completely uh, redefine how we develop drugs and how we, uh, and maybe we won't need animals for toxicological experiments at all anymore because these in vitro uh, systems will be so precise and so representative of a single individual or even a population that we can develop drugs quicker, faster, and to better cohorts so we can identify the people who have a problem and go, go for that. And that's where it comes to a project me and Walter were doing. And we had the concept of this project, I think about six years ago, Walter, or even before. I was definitely in Innsbruck, so it was a few years. So I'm five years now in Amsterdam. And I'm pretty sure we have it three or four years before I left Innsbruck. Seven yeah. years ago. Huh? Yeah. So the idea was to write a book about um, about these things, but that most people could understand. I mean, and we we're trying to explain it in a way that 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 you okay, you needed you needed to know a little, but you didn't know need to know a lot. So at least if we could we could explain biology to our fellow chemists. And if you can explain to our fellow chemist, then of course maybe a person who's not a scientist at all could could get it. Ms. Clausen, I was.
So we, we started with the concept that um, isn't it a bit strange that we can grow cells outside the body? I mean, the, 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 there, there, is, there is Netflix videos uh, uh, from Henrietta Lacks, and that, these were the first cells, the first human cells that were grown in culture. It was a cervical cancer from uh, uh, Mrs. Lacks. And lots of things went kind of wrong with that. Uh, one is there was no ethical principles at the time, so there was no informed consent for taking tissue outside the body, but there was no legal premise for that. There was another challenge in that context. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to come to that. So those cells polluted all the other cell banks. because there was no, 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 not that. that, that that's another. But, yeah. uh, but Innsbruck and cell culture, there is a... A deep, a very deep connection, because a, an anatomist called Wilhelm Ruh, he was the first man who could, for longer than a few days, keep uh, beating heart, uh, chicken heart muscle cells alive in a saline solution. I, I have no idea what that got to do with Henrietta Lacks, but that's an important point. No, <laughs> that's, that, that's the, the connection. Oh, yeah, human. human. Out, yeah. Outside, the, outside the body. Oh, no, I, no, I meant, yeah. sorry, I was only human. I was only talking about yeah. human. So HeLa was yeah. the first human cells? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no, it was done. Oh, yeah, so Rue yeah. did it first. I think there was even uh, maybe a few people before him, but Hugh became famous. Who signed out? I don't know. Sorry, my... Zoom is complaining, but we're still going, right? Yeah, we're yeah. still going. Um, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, I mean, Innsbruck had so many great uh, biological. Paracelsus was working there for some time. There was William Rue, and uh, there was so many. Uh, Innsbruck, at some stage, had, had some of the best scientists uh, there. Uh, not not least Walter Fowler and and <laughs> Paul Beetle and Thomas Haller and myself and and Florian Lang and all these guys. Um, so, um, where were we? Um, okay, so there is issues and there's ethical issues and stuff. But yeah. but we so so we want we we wanted to write a book that was fair and slightly controversial, and we thought the concept of of Frankenstein would be a good way to attract the mind, right? Because, um, well, I don't I don't want to develop this too much right now, but. But uh, so we wanted we wanted to base it a, a bit around Frankenstein because it is a bit artificial. Like you can be dead, like Henrietta was, and her cells are, are producing tonnages all over the world. So is she? I mean, her consciousness is no longer there, which is not really dead. She's immortal, and so that that that's a possible. Well, it's not a possibility. It's a fact, right? So I mean, we have all these cell lines from people now. So there's thousands of human cell lines around. And so those people, even though they're no longer physically present as a as a human, their cells are living in labs, and and experiments are being conducted on them. So if you think about it, in those terms, it, it's it can be a little it can sound a little bit creepy, you know, <laughs> uh, because your genes are, and uh, are still living, and and it's usually in these cases usually the cancer cells, the thing that killed you, that people are investigating. Um, so the book we we initially called it in Frankenstein's footsteps, but Walter wasn't happy with that, and he was right. And we had many ideas for the name. And then we, in the, in the end, we, we came to a consensus and we called it Frankenstein's followers. Because we want to follow the idea that, I mean, Frankenstein was an amazing, well, it was a conceptual experiment with Mary Shelley's brain. 
but it was an amazing concept that you could you could make something that should be dead alive. Yeah, clarify because for, for quite some time it was confusing for myself as well. Frankenstein, uh, you refer to Frankenstein monster. No, the Frankenstein did the experiment. Frankenstein's monster was the was the experiment. So Frankenstein yeah. was the scientist, uh, <laughs> and Frankenstein's monster. So we 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 were we we were not stupid people, me and my yeah. So it was it was Frankenstein's followers because it was his experiment. Yeah. So Frankenstein's monster was was the experimental output of. Outcome. It was the outcome. Yeah. But anyway, this is all conceptual because Mary Shelley talked this up. So we'll start from there. Uh, now we're going to talk about Frankenstein's uh, followers. Um, now, I had a, a German interview, uh, uh, or, well, Tyrolean interview, let's say, with Hardy S. and Thomas Haller on Fyrad, and that's somewhere up on, on the social media. And they asked, we was very interested. <laughs> Uh, Thomas Haller's uh, podcast is in English. Thomas buys a microscope and looks inside. I think in German is Thomas Haller Kaufman microscope and shout in um, <laughs> And and let's start with this. So, uh, and so Mike should be kind of the interviewer. I have a few questions, but maybe Mike should just do it ad lib. Here you go. Here's some of my questions. Well, here is my first question. If I can read <laughs> the notes that I was. Just given a minute ago. Where, where are we? Well, it's around here. So, like, so we're, we're publishing talks called in retro. Like, what's the yeah. vision? The, yeah. What's the name? What's the message? All that yeah, I got it. So, yeah. But you can also use your brain, Max. Yeah, I can try that. Yeah. So, what's the starting points? What's what's behind the Frankenstein follower? The book? Yeah. Well, I think. <sighs> And Walter, please add to this. I think I don't. I've never seen a piece of text that explains um, uh, in vitro, and not just toxicology. So we have an application of toxicology, but I've never seen it explained in 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 one like in one shot, right? So we we wanted to try and explain the technical advances of growing cells outside the body. And, and the history of that and, and the dangers that are incorporated with that. So I think that was the point. Walter? Yeah. Yeah. So to have it in one body of text. So combining the ethical challenge which are created <coughs> by this evolution and listing the history of the evolution, is it the concept? Yeah, so we we, we planned, so we published one chapter, so uh, we got a bit uh, stressed about it, so we decided to publish it in chapters and toxicology in vitro, and the idea is to publish it as a book later. So we published the first chapter, which is the vision. So it explains the history of Mary Shelley, uh, how she wrote, how she came up with the concept, and uh, and there's a little bit add-ons to that. Um, but we want to. So Walter has a chapter about Alexander Volta. He might discuss. Uh, I'm going to write a chapter about cells, which is inspired by our podcast about cells. And then we wanted to write a chapter about the history, and then we have two or three other chapters that are conceived but not well developed, and then we wanted to write a conclusion chapter. And when it comes to the ethical concern related to this uh, successive advance, do you look at it from the nowadays perspective? Because ethics is something which obviously is evolving. No, do you we're look actually from the time. No, we're actually looking at the future perspectives. Walter, well, you wanted to say anything about the, what could go wrong? Right. Uh, so we can we can use it for the good, 
and we can use it, uh, we can let it go and then perhaps it ends up in a very dangerous uh, situation. So uh, Harry, uh, Harry asked me, so, or I think it was maybe Thomas Hunter, he said, what do you mean? So how could, go, how could it go dangerous? No, it could it could go dangerous that uh, uh, DNA editing uh, allows uh, creation or 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 <clears throat> allows um, making of individuals which otherwise would never exist. Eugenics, right? That's eugenics, yeah, and. Uh, uh, and that's so. What Walter means is because that doesn't sound like in vitro, but you you do it in vitro. So you do it with the egg or the sperm. Yeah. So you manipulate the. Uh, this is also in vitro. So you can manipulate. You can do this quite easily. Um, I think we discussed this before. So you can do this really quite easily with the CRISPR Cas9 technique. Um, um, and you can genetically edit. It's it's not allowed, by the way, but uh, it has been done creepily in China once or twice, and, and they were exposed and kicked out. Um, so okay, that's so that that's uh, deliberate genetic engineering for eugenic, maybe fascist purposes. Um, I mean, that's what Hitler was all about, eugenics, right? So uh, that's creepy. We don't want to do that. Uh, but it could be it could be subtle that you would like your your child to have green eyes, you know. Huh. Um, but I, I still think that shouldn't be possible. But that's my opinion in 2022. I mean. Maybe that changes later, as long as it's regulated and you can choose. I, I don't like that concept, though. No, it's an, as far as I got it, you need to prompt scientific people to alert uh, others of the possibilities of the evolution of these techniques, what they can offer as possibility. Yeah, but that's kind so of... Possibly someone other than scientists can but that's thinking the, about. Yeah, but that's kind of what we want to do in the book as well, is alert to the dangers of doing this. Um, like another another ethical problem is that we suppose now we're I'm only doing toxicology. I'm not, I'm not uh, involved. It's not that I'm not interested. It's just a different branch of science. Uh, the use of growing cells outside of your body and taking your own cells and growing them outside the body means that you can actually implant them back in again. So you can grow kidney cells, liver cells, and you will be able to grow kidney a whole kidney uh, soon, very soon. A whole liver very soon, and you can yeah. transplant that, yeah, and a heart, and uh, and and you can transplant them back into you, which means you can live for much, much, much longer. And I'm talking much longer, like 50, 60 years longer than currently possible. I think the current <coughs> is about 110, and uh, and very few people reach that. Uh, but let's say the average lifespan in Europe is for men is about 85 or something like that. But you'll be able to really easily live until you're 120, 130. Uh, that has consequences for society, but that's a societal problem. Uh, but I, I discussed in the Freyrad thing that what if politicians or, or dictators uh, use that to make their surrounding people live longer than the masses, which is basically what happened um, in the past where dictators used hunger and pestilence. Like Genghis Khan was famous for using pestilence to kill his enemies. He would throw dead bodies, dead bodies back in. So he basically make them live shorter than his armies. That's already used. So in the wrong hands, uh, this stuff 
can be dangerous for transplant medicine. Uh, but let's not get into that right now. Just talk about the application of the in vitro systems. Can that be ethically, uh, can that be an ethical issue? Because you're, grow you're growing cells outside the body. When, when does it become ethically? So when does growing cells in culture become worse than using an animal? Yeah, if um, I I think if 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 you make a full multi-organ chip that can think and feel pain, then we've gone too far. Yeah, right. And I think that first of all, they shouldn't feel, it shouldn't be connected to a central nervous system. And I don't think we should ever go that far that we make the neurons be able to be conscious. We, we really should stop at that level, in my mind, because what are we doing? We're creating we're creating Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, we should uh, we should under any circumstances prevent to create an outside solely outside the body a growing individual with humanoid or human behavior. So, so it shouldn't be conscious. It shouldn't have a consciousness. Well. Yeah, the, 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 the problem is if we have everything under control to prevent that. Yeah, we don't, because we're randomly just doing experiments. Uh, and I think the people in the neurological field would be just really happy if they can think. That's <laughs> so, wow, yeah, cool. exactly. Because in the meantime, you would still find very nice application of that. Yeah, sure. On the right side, because that's something you want to uh, well, be yeah. able to use possibly. But when does it come you're creating a sentient being and then torturing it? That's the problem. But yeah. how do you really, are we strong enough that we can know which stage represents consciousness? I don't know, it's not right when you did. That's, a, that's the issue. Yeah, but biologically speaking, how do you characterize that? Do we know? Because I, I remember being young and uh, trying to kind of steal time from my physiology, uh, philosophy, philo how do you say that? Philosophy. Philosophy. Uh, teacher. Uh, the idea was, okay, the longer I speak, the fewer we learn. We have things to uh, check on our textbook. And he started one sentence saying that animals have no conscience. So we just... Oh, yeah, but I, I also teach this so in, in the... Uh, yeah. when, when Russell and Birch made their, their, their master, uh, what's it um, called, a systematic review, yeah. it was... It was well, one of... It's a, a masterpiece of, of, of a systematic review. They all discussed that. So they said, low, they all always said you could use lower animals. Yeah. And, but that was in 1959. Um, what does that mean, a lower animal? But they, they meant that it didn't have a well developed central nervous system. Yeah. Uh, and you can discuss like fish, maybe they don't feel pain. Yeah, but what's with the octopus? Yeah, but the, yeah, but octopus has a pretty well developed um, uh, brain core and goes and the smart animals they, they live for very short. I also I wouldn't be in favor of doing experiments on octopus or eating. No, them. I never would. I stopped eating them. Yeah, I would. I don't eat octopus. I never. I don't even like them. To be honest. I, I I had a. This <laughs> was an easy choice. Yeah, it was easy. I know. If it, no it, sacrifice. It, they can be very tasty. No, no. But I had a friend in, in Sardinia. He was always. 
uh, fed him in in the morning a, a octopus like this. And he was always on my side, on the left side, and always looking at my eyes during swimming. Every day for 14 days. Maybe he 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 committed suicide when I left. <laughs> Depression. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, so so far you mentioned that we can know interconnect tissues. And you said uh we No, it's not, it's not it's not exactly true. So the aim is to interconnect um, the visceral organs. Um we can do it. Yeah, in, you already said we can have a brain and we can have a possibly a yeah, heart. But they're not interconnected yet. Yeah. So so what we do is so um even with the microbiotic systems, we're just connecting through a microbiotic system. Yeah. They don't really connect yeah. with each other. Yeah. Also, none of them yet so far. I mean, Uwe has, has, has made some uh, proof of concepts where you can do them from the same individual using IPS cells to differentiate them. But the differentiation protocols are not that well advanced yet. So it's a it's a matter of time only. We're getting better at that. But uh, the real interconnection uh, is going to take quite some time. But it, it will be possible. To do it, I mean, you, you have to remember all we're doing is recapitulating fetal uh, uh, development, and so it's simply a sperm meets an egg, and that happens every single time. Yeah, yeah. So we just have to learn how that works, and we can do it then for the individual tissues, and then we reconnect them back together. And it, it's 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 it will be really possible that they really are interconnected and they really talk to each other, and it it would be possible to have. A chip, like a like an in vitro chip that feels pain and suffers from the pain, and I think that's too far. Yeah, yeah, but uh, probably that's too far from your scientific point of view. From a layman perspective, mentioning that you have a beating heart and a firing neuron into your device probably is already a kind of a concern because then it would take a lot of education to explain that they are kind of connected by fluids, but they are not. Physically Can I... connected by cells uh, yeah. and sense yeah. of the pain. So there is a need for probably education around what we do, why we do, and well, what it's... Well, well, 40 or 50 years ago when the embryonic cells came up, yeah. uh, there was war. Yeah. Uh, uh, because they came, uh, or some of them came from aborted fetuses. Uh, the fetus was aborted anyway. And they took the stem cells from that, and um, and it's not like they they deliberately aborted fetuses. This was the miscommunication that you had to do it over and over again. It was yeah. one was enough, yeah, because they could just grow them. Um, so the induced pluripotent stem cells are, are a cleaner on that level because um, you can just you can you can give your pee to somebody and they can grow them, and you don't you don't consider your pee a, yeah. a precious thing. So. But probably even by saying we we would stop at fetal stage, uh, for some people it would be already an issue. We just seeing a kind oh, yeah, of crazy what in you. Let's be careful. We're not growing fetuses. Yeah, yeah no, but so it, it, it's it's like, so basically you take these stems, these induced protein stem cells from from an adult that has given full consent, and then using the Yamanaka great um, uh, factors. These are four factors you just overexpress them uh, using a virus, they become uh, pluripotent stem cells. And then we site direct them to a tissue. So there's no fetal, there's no fetus form. It's, it's just, uh, we grow directly from those stem cells, a kidney or a liver or a brain. Uh, it doesn't go through the fetal whole fetal report. They can't, because only totipotent stem cells can do that. 
So the pluripotent stem cells cannot form a fetus. Like, uh, only totipotent cells can do that, and that's one step behind them. Um, right, let's change. Nice. Yeah. So, but still, this uh, advance in science also opens up uh, possibilities which would be beneficial to society. So, who do you think should be responsible for regulating it? No, but first and foremost, and this is where me and Walter are, I mean, we're mostly aligned anyway, but the, the first application is, is that we can, re, we can uh, replace, or the idea is to eventually replace animals completely from toxicological paradigms. Yeah, because... Oh, wait, wait, well, Walter, maybe say a few words on that, because Walter was very instrumental in societies and stuff like that to develop this idea that you can use cell culture instead of animals. Yeah. That is still the, the, the major goal, which uh, yeah. we should uh, achieve. We should yeah. achieve uh, a, a, uh, a test uh, strategy or, or, or a behavior which always should try to avoid animals. I mean, and the lobby groups, and I, I think honestly, fair play to them. The animal rights lobby groups uh, were very instrumental in pushing the trigger policy and getting it enforced. And they actually pushed it so far that the cosmetic, or the, I don't like the term, the cosmetic industry, the personal care industry was absolutely forced in 2013 not to use animals anymore. And uh, and and then it, it, took, it was phased in, but eventually they're, they're not allowed to use animals at all anymore. No. No, uh, cosmetics has has managed anyway. No cosmetic product is tested anymore by yeah. animals by using animals. Then in Europe, in Europe, yeah. In yeah, but the Europe Europe spawned the Japanese, Chinese. Uh, yeah, because the, the problem is that America does not consider rats and mice as animals. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Well, it's well, experimental animals. Oh yeah. Well, we should we yeah. we should check that legally before. So caveat that <laughs> might not be true. But uh, but anyway, the Americans are also pretty good in developing uh, mechanistic toxicology, and we collaborate with uh, people uh, 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 in, uh, in the NIH and. Uh, uh, I, I think I think one uh, one outcome of this uh, undertaking should be that. Uh, we contribute uh, to the public uh, uh, that uh, a better understanding for biology arises. Second, a better understanding of the long and tedious and, and also careful way to develop uh, new drugs. And uh, to understand the interaction between these fields, development, testing, pharmaceutical industry, uh, but also industry as, as a whole, and, and also food industry, that is very important. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's many industries involved. So there's a chemical industry, which produce chemicals for manufacturing, and, um, and those chemicals can get to the air. Uh, but if you're working in the factories, you can be exposed to them. Then there's a cosmetic industry where you actually apply these things to your inner body 
So if you're talking like toothpaste or um, or personal care products like tampons or whatever, they actually go inside you. Um, condoms, you know, these kind of things are anything that you that go in into your into your body, but also the skin. Most of these things are are are, are applied on the skin, and and not like mostly the skin uh, stops things going through, but some things go through. And, and then you have these gases, like these sprays you put under your knee, your arm and stuff like that, and you actually inhale these things. So they're, they're very good at, at, I mean, none of these things have been quite dangerous, except for, I, I have to be careful here, but I think Johnson & Johnson got sued for having um, issues with their talcum powder for baby products because they had uh, chemical contaminations of the talcum powder that caused cancer in, in in a certain amount of babies. So when it goes wrong, it's terrible, you know, but it doesn't go wrong very often because of the regulations. Um, but then, as Walter said correctly, the, the food we take is very heavily regulated and they're, they're also quite heavily contaminated. And in Europe, it's the European um, Federation of Food Safety Authority, that's the EFSA. And uh, they are troubled by all of this thing, and they're they're trying to develop methods as well. And they're very heavily involved in developing um, vitro non-animal models, so computational and and in vitro. Um, and and then you ECA is involved with chemical, and then we have EMA, so the European Medicines Agency are involved in the pharmaceutical. So the European Union is pretty well regulated of every way we we take in. Um, stuff through our mouths, what we breathe in, and what we put on our bones, and and all of them are fairly aligned with the fact that it would be easier and quicker to do this with uh, cell culture and uh, and uh, computational methods, which we call in silicon. And now, recently, or not even recently, but but recently, it, it has been beginning to work that the computational people, so the people are very good with computers and, and, and modeling, have, are working alongside the people who are growing cells. And they make our experiments better, and we make their models better. And that's kind of cool. So the acceleration is huge. But there's also huge te technological uh, accelerations, like uh, being able to measure every single mRNA, which is the message to make a protein, be able to measure a big chunk of the proteins, and make, able to measure all of the metabolome products these are the very small molecules so we can do all of these things now quite well and fast um well we should come to an end soon because we're we're we're, we're well over an hour um so what do we do you want to sum up so we, we discussed a lot about walter's uh beginning of his career where he was oh, i'm still curious about it walter because uh Hi. Uh, at the time I started, uh, in vitro was already something. I mean, it was not as... Yeah, but you're, a very, but you're a very young man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... What year were you born? I was born in 79. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're like 25? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. 27. Yeah. You're not that good at math. 27. <laughs> that's why I do in vitro, yeah. not in silico. Yeah. But uh, yeah, in vitro was already an established thing somehow. It was not as easy, but it was already pretty established because I started working in a lab with cells uh, shortly before 2000. Uh, but when you started, uh, what was, how was it welcome to present data? Uh, uh, we had, there was nothing on the market in the field of kidney, which was in vitro. 
Nothing. But how difficult was it to publish them all? Yeah. Oh, that 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 was not that difficult because we had a certain name regarding uh, morphology and the kidney, right. and uh, th that that was a good help to enter the 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 field again with an with an other uh, uh, from another viewpoint. And as far as I remember, your, your morphological experiments, for ex just for example, with the MDSK cells, um, you, you, you clarified that they were uh, not distal, they were collectantive, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So it was like they were self-critical about yeah. the tools they used. Yeah. So also Walter knew quite early that the LSPK1 cells grown on, on plastic, they were not as oxidative as what he saw in, they didn't have enough mitochondria as he saw in vivo. That's why Walter was eager to give them more oxygen and make the epiflow system and, and do microfluidic devices and give them more oxygen. Uh -huh. And Gerhard Sandhaler also was developing things to shake them. So that's kind of what the Mimita system does. It shakes the cells gently to give them more oxygen. Yeah, he, 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 brought in, he brought in the, the classical uh, uh, applications he knew from, from uh, uh, bot botany and, and microbiology. Yeah, so these tricks to, to improve oxygenation, like Gerhard was playing with the medium volumes, and then you know, so I learned because I went to that lab, and Gerhard was telling me that the surface area and the distance to the cells was really important. I remember Matt Leonard actually showed me an experiment where he did he had A549 cells, so these are lung cancer cells, and he had a micro manipulator that was an oxygen probe, and the closer he went to the cells, the less oxygen there were. Because, um, well, if you're a physiologist, you know that oxygen diffuses really slowly through water, and our, medium, our mediums are water-based. And that's why hemoglobin has evolved, I think, seven or eight times independently. And there was other uh, copper-based um, 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 oxygen carriers, like in, in old ancient crabs that still exist, like the horseshoe crab. They have blue blood. But any animal that has red blood is mo mostly hemoglobin, and that evolved like independently of, at least seven times. Yeah, over ninety. Um, yeah, and that, it's simply because if you if you're a larger size uh, and you've got skin which is impenetrable to oxygen, um, you 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 need a system to develop. And we 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 grow ourselves uh, without any of these oxygen carriers. So lowering the the medium volume increases the oxygen of the cells. And then people tell me all the time, even last week, somebody said, oh no, that's silly because 21% oxygen in, in the air. And I said, yeah, but it doesn't get to the cells. Yeah. Because it's like a, a kilometer of, of like like uh, water that doesn't like oxygen. Uh, water doesn't really like oxygen. So it, it, it's difficult to get through. So, so and that's, that's the beauty of the microfluidics because um, it, it circulates and it has an oxygen, um, saturation area uh, that's that's some, sometimes simply the plastic around it so as it circulates it gets reoxygenated and that's better and the mitochondria need the oxygen otherwise they can't respond uh, okay that was one thing we settled that point so that was what else did we discuss because we're on the summary points now uh, can can you can you mail me the link. Yeah, we haven't finished yet, Walter. So we're still recording the podcast. We're just oh, trying to okay. we're just trying to sum up now. Yeah. So yeah. 
Uh, what else did we discuss? Yeah, I don't know. We covered uh, part of it. Because my expectation is that there will be uh, coming upcoming chapter of Frankenstein follower. So if my memory is correct, people can listen to it uh, on the podcast, right? Yeah, well, I, I the, for the editorial. For the first one, I, um, I I read it out, but I'm not trying to keep doing this okay. because they can be quite so long. Uh, maybe I will. Uh, let's see. The, the first chapter, I, I just simply read it out, and it's, and it's on one of our podcasts. Um, they're all published, the, or the idea is to publish them all at Toxicology in vitro, and if you don't have access to Elsevier, I also publish a stripped-out version on my webpage. Uh, the next chapter will be on cells, yeah. and uh, me and Walter are busy writing that now, and it was heavily inspired by Max's and my, my conversation, which was episode two, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and Walter is writing one which is going to be very interesting about uh, uh, the electricity, so yeah. the energy yeah. of cells yeah. and the electrical currents that are generated. And and actually, that was important for Shelley's imagination. Yeah. Walter. Walter, maybe you discuss this. So Shelley, so discuss a little bit about Shelley's interest in electricity. Now, that was... Um... In the uh, in the field of the um, natural natural sciences, interested upper class people at that time. That was uh, uh, the eighteen uh, fifties, fifties and later. Uh, they they were very very attracted by the experiments, which also were uh, discussed in the public uh, from. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, you know, with the with the uh, uh, electricity which comes out from the from the lightnings uh, uh, and uh, which can trigger uh, muscle twitches, etc. Then uh, of Luigi Galvani and his his um, nephew Salvini, uh, who uh, Galvani um, yeah could could show that. Electrical uh, current going through uh, biologic material can uh, trigger reactions. So that's the twitch, the frog leg twitches. And um, uh, Alessandro Volta uh, invented the battery stack and uh, reached um, voltages up to 100 volts. And that's enough to to uh, also uh, bring uh, human muscles to twitch. So uh, Salvini, the, the nephew of, of Galvani, he, he experimented with, uh, with uh, death, uh, or with uh, executives, with, with, with dead bodies of, of executed persons. And he also investigated the how long it takes until the corneal reflex is gone. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was saying this today that, that, that it's um, in a lecture today that that um, it's it's very easy to spot a dead animal, but it, if the dead animal is freshly dead or a dead person freshly dead, their cells are all still alive. Yeah, uh, and, and and depending on how long they've been dead, you can basically make them you can make their arm move or whatever if you stimulate in the right place because those neurons are still alive and intact, and and. If you go on to the whole like 
uh, philosophy of, of what a cell is or what life is, it's basically, if, if you define it like on its simplest basis, it's the ability to uh, transfer one type of energy to another type of energy. And often it's, 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 it's current-based. So having a potential of one ion to another ion, that's how batteries work. And, um, and that's a definition of life. And, or it's a definition of a living thing that it has a potential energy. Yeah. And, and, that's why, and that's why the confusion is with viruses because they have no energy. But, but, the, but the thing is viruses can affect the cell and change, their, change the energy properties of that cell to their own advantage. So maybe a virus is only alive while it's in its infectious stage and in a and it's in a dormant stage while it's outside of the cell. So my opinion is that viruses are 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 kind of a life form and and, and they're absolutely a life form while they're in their infectious yeah. since since the interconnections and were not very well understood at that time, of course it was a very interesting approach which might offer the possibility to resurrect a person to re regain life again. Yeah, yeah they, knew, they knew nothing about cellular life then. Uh, so, so there was the the cook um, who was basically, I think, the charity was was sort of organized around Koch and his colleagues. Um, Koch was one of the first to discover that there was these pathogenic things, so germ therapy, and um, and so and and we didn't connect that with with humans. It was just like, oh, they're pathogens, but what about us? So we didn't know that we're a bunch of cells. And um, so so they they just thought if you could apply electricity, maybe <laughs> maybe, you could, maybe you can make somebody alive again. <laughs> maybe they just ran out of energy. And and that was the inspiration for the Frankenstein thing. Anyway, you can read our chapter. It's uh, it's 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 online. Uh, we'll put a link to it. Uh, in the bottom, uh, it's well written, well written. Walter wrote most of it. Uh, I'll put a link to me reading it out. Um, and yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, thanks, Walter, for yeah. entertaining us, and thanks for taking our questions. Thanks, Max, for being here for the pet course. It's always a pleasure. And uh, we'll put in the regular yeah. um, sound bites. So thanks, Walter. Well, Thank don't you. go away. We're just going to stop the recording now. Have a good week and successful yeah. seminar or uh, course. Thanks, Walter. We're just going to stop the recording, so stay on.